Well, as you can tell, there's a lot of exciting things going on around here. Not only are we getting ready to hopefully break ground on our facility uh, in the next few months, but we also have connect groups launching up. Uh, we have a lot of new faces in the building and have had a lot of new faces over the past few weeks. And uh, it's been exciting just to see all that God's doing and he'll continue to do. And so uh, definitely mark your calendars for next week. Uh, I'm hoping uh, next week will give us the down payment money that we need uh, to go ahead and get the ball rolling and, uh, and get construction documents in hand. And hopefully with that, we'll be prepared to break ground uh, as we've been aiming to do uh, in November, uh, the end of November, probably the beginning of December, uh, according to that. So be praying with us as a church and uh, we'll see what God has in store for us. And so with that, if you got your Bibles, I want you to open up to Acts chapter two. Uh, Acts chapter two is where we'll be uh, today. And uh, this may be the most foundational scripture uh, that has uh, influenced and impacted our church uh, in, in the entire Bible. And so I've preached this passage uh, probably 20 times since I became a church planter. And uh, it is still, every time I read it, it gets me fired up. And so uh, let me pray for us and we'll, we'll read there. Father, again, we love you. God, we're thankful for this morning. We're thankful for your word. Uh, God, I'm thankful for each and every person in this room. Uh, Father, I pray as we do open your word and we look into, God, what you see as your church. God, that you would shape our minds. God, would you renew our minds? Maybe areas where we've thought about the church in the wrong way. God, would you just shape us to see uh, your family, the way that you've designed it to be, and God, help us align our lives to you. Uh, in Christ's name we pray, amen, amen. So again, this is such a remarkable passage, and it's very foundational uh, for the church. If you know the story of the Bible, uh, you know that the Christian faith is based off the, the person and work of Jesus Christ, and that's where the word Christ comes from, Christian, that's what we are. And so uh, in, in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, uh, the life of Christ, uh, his life, his death, his burial, his resurrection uh, are taught about all throughout and observed through the Gospels. And then we come to the book of Acts. And the book of Acts is when uh, God, Christ himself, ascends back to heaven and he says he's going to send the helper, the Holy Spirit, back to us. And this Holy Spirit is going to uh, empower believers uh, to, to be a part and finish the work that Christ began to do. And what we see in the book of Acts is really Christ established his church, the spirit-filled church. And so uh, in early on in the book of Acts chapter 2, we get Luke, the author, uh, observing the church. And this is the earliest description that we have of what the church looked like. And I would say is the purest form of what the church should be and what the church is about. And so as we read it, I want to challenge you uh, that most of us in this room have been to church. We have some sort of church experience. Maybe it's just at Connection or maybe it's a number of different places. But I would encourage you to not base your view of the church off of an experience that you've had, but base it on the Word of God. And because it is essential uh, that our church follows not experiences, but follows the church as it's outlined in God's Word. And I want this to be uh, the scripture that shapes who we are as a group of believers. And so let's read together, starting in verse 41. So verse 41 says this, those who accepted his message, his message was Peter at Pentecost. Uh, the spirit of God came down. Everyone started speaking in different languages 
And then Peter stood up and, and preached the first gospel presentation post-resurrection of Jesus or post-ascension. And so what happened, listen to what happened. It says, those who accepted this gospel message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Talk about a logistical nightmare. Can You can think we baptize four or five people at a time. Can you imagine baptizing 3,000 believers and what that would look like? It is a borderline uh, revival. It's an incredible day. When you think of a good day, that's a good day, right? Verse 42. Now, this is what Luke says. He says, now they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. That's God's word to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs that were performed by the apostles. Now all the believers were together and they had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had a need. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts they broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Again, just an incredible passage when it comes to what the church should look like and what the church should be. And so today what I wanna do is I wanna give you two observations and then I wanna give you a challenge. So the first observation is this. Number one, the church is a family to belong to, not an event to attend. The church, by God's design, is not an event that we come and sit at and consume, but it is a family to belong to. We're saved from our sin to be a part of a family that God's created. We're given a new identity. We're given a new family. It's adoption into the family of God. But Luke's description of the church, I know from experience and from many conversations, is way, uh, his description of the church is way different than probably most of our experiences with church. And you'd probably agree with me on that. Billy, this is not what I've experienced because when you think about church, if you grew up any way I did, you think a Sunday morning, you come and sit, you sing a few songs, you hear a sermon, you kind of go about your business. Maybe somebody knows you, but you know it's kind of a surface level knowledge. It's not necessarily a family as much as it's uh, just an event, a part of your life that you attend. But Luke is saying, no, it was bigger than that here. But you see, we live in a consumer culture. And we just got through studying the churches of Revelation, and one of the things that we saw was an issue in the early church was that culture would slip into the church, right? We saw that with almost every church in Revelation, how culture had jumped into the church and influenced it. And we live probably more today than any other time in history in what that we would call a consumer culture. A consumer culture uh, is, and what's happened is this has kind of slipped into the church, a consumer culture is one where we get what we want, when we want it, and how we want it, right? The best way I know to explain it is Burger King's slogan, you can have it your way, right? That's kind of how we uh, define a consumer culture around here. In large part, though, that slipped inside the church. And when you live in this type of culture, everything is about you. Uh, but the issue with this is that God didn't design the church as a consumer relationship. 
Like he didn't design it where it would be all about one of us. He designed it to be a family, a family, a group of, of, of people that are committed to one another. Uh, he designed it uh, to be a body of believers that do life together, that serve together, that live on mission together. And he saved us out of our sin and out of our selfishness to belong into his family, universally but also locally as a local body of Christ. And uh, whether we know it or not, every person in this room is wired for community. And it doesn't take long looking around our culture to understand that. We gather around any common interest that we have. If it's a sport, soccer, football, if it's a, a team that we cheer for, if it's an interest or a hobby that we have, we naturally gravitate to people like us. That community is built into us. But the truth of reality and the, of the gospel is that we're designed by God for God and for God's family and that community uh, in that. We need one another. We need one another for a number of reasons. We need one another to experience God fully. We need one another to accurately display God to the world. We need one another to grow effectively. Our growth is, is designed to happen in community. This is why we are all wearing shirts today. You'll see a lot of our group leaders have shirts on today that say, life is better Together, We believe that. We believe that real life change happens not when church is an event that you attend, but when it's a family that you can belong to. And it's not just our opinion. Uh, we see this throughout the Bible. 1 John chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. Listen to John himself. This is one of the closest disciples of Christ. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard when we were with Christ, so that you also may have fellowship with us. That's what John wants is a deep fellowship, a partnership. The word's koinonia. And our fellowship is with the Father and his Son, Jesus Christ. And I'm writing this to make our joy complete. And so what John, one of the closest followers of Christ who walked with him, but, uh, grew to understand was that fellowship with God and fellowship with other people Think of it, friendship with God and friendship with other like-minded people equals complete joy in our life. And so there's a sense of if we just have God in a solo relationship with him, we're missing out on part of the joy that Christ has designed our life for. A part of our joy is connected to fellowship with other believers. First Peter chapter 2, 9 and 10, the other close follower of Christ that lived life with him. This is Peter. Listen to what he says. He says, but you, you're a chosen people. You're a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of God who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. And once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. What Peter understands is that God has always desired to primarily reveal himself through a group of people. And you can study throughout the Old Testament and see the Israelites, even into the New Testament, through Christ, and then on to the church. We see that God's intention has always been to reveal himself through groups of people that are walking together, families of people. And then we see in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 10, Paul, who was uh, probably the 
the early, uh, the, the one that wrote the majority of the New Testament, he understood the same thing that Peter and John understood. He said in verse 10 of chapter 3 of Ephesians, he says, God's intent, that's a big word, was that now through the church that the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly realm. What is he saying? Paul understood that God's family on earth is how he wants to reveal his wisdom to the entire world and even to the people in the heavenly realm. There's something about the church that God's designed to be special, but the church must not be an event that we attend. It must be a family of people that are committed to doing life together. But here's what I've learned over uh, my 15 years of following Jesus, that there, with God's design, always come obstacles, right? There's always obstacles, and there are two primary obstacles from you walking in God's design for your life. And this design being community with other believers, it's family, belonging to a family, it's doing life with the people of God. And here's what they are. Number one is sin. And number two is Satan, right? Two S's, very similar, and they are attacking in every way. And so we have sin at work in us, and what sin in us does is it fights against God's design for our life. I mean, I say it this way, it destroys God's design. You know, the best definition of sin that I know from the Bible is selfishness. The middle letter of sin is I, and that's a perfect description of what sin in us does. Sin uh, runs from community. It wants to be about yourself. It destroys friendships. Uh, sin wants you to believe that you don't need other people, that it's okay for you to do life in isolation. It's okay if no one knows you or no one loves you, but ultimately we know we're designed for, for community and to be known and to, for others to, to walk through life with us. And what sin doesn't tell you is that you also have an enemy. And this enemy from John chapter 10, 10 is very clear what his purpose for your life is. And that purpose is to steal, to kill, and to destroy you, right? It's to rob you of your joy, it's to rob God's design from your life, and it's to ultimately destroy you. In 1 Peter 5, 8, we see another tactic. Our enemy is prowling around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour, and so what he loves for you to do is he loves to get you isolated from the people of God because part of God's design for community is protection over you. It's, it's, it's provision, it's a blessing that allows you to continue to persevere in the faith. Holy Spirit, with Holy Spirit beside one another, inside each of us is what helps us persevere in the faith until the end. And what Satan likes to do is to isolate you out. And when he isolates you out, what happens is he can devour you. He can get in your head. He can begin to uh, get you thinking lies, and you have nobody around you that can help you discern what's lies and what's truth. And listen, I'm not speaking from this like I'm, uh, I'm, I'm uh, immune to this. Like I know this in my own life. When people don't know what's going on in my mind and in my heart, then it's not good because I can get in my own head and start to think things that aren't true. And I need people in those moments to say, Billy, that is a lie from Satan to keep you from where God wants you to be. 
And this is what we need. And so we have an enemy and we have sin that both are in there. But the truth of the gospel is that God designed the church a specific way for our good and for his glory. And part of us experiencing life the way God wants us to experience it is aligning to what he designed the church to be in our life. The church is is designed not to be a burden, but to be a blessing on your life. That's what God wants it uh, to be. And so the question becomes is, is in your life church a family that you belong to, or is it just an event that you attend once a week? And that's what you have to decide is, have you aligned your life to God's design, or have you not? Are you missing out on the blessing that God has for you through the church? Number two, the characteristics of a healthy church family. All right, I got eight of them for you. So in this passage, you see a bunch of characteristics, and this is where our church, honestly, have, have built pretty much our cultures, the cultures that we like to see as a part of our church, uh, the focuses that we like to see, all of these things come from this passage for us is foundational. So the first characteristic, I'm gonna give you eight of them, uh, and I'm gonna be brief with them, so I can't explain all of them in depth, but I would love to. The first is this. The first characteristic we see from the early church is this. They were saved. Saved, right? That's a big term, but one of the things that you figure out, verse 41, is that those who made up the church had accepted the gospel message, they were baptized, and then there was about 3,000 of them added in one day. And so these people heard the gospel, they repented of their sin, and they put their faith in Christ. And as a result, they were made new. And this is what the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation, and the old has passed away, and the new has come. And when you read Scripture, this is a biblical view of salvation, right? When we get saved, it's not a good person that needs to be made better or a bad person that just needs some some structure in their life to be a better person. It literally says, When we come to Christ and we hear the gospel that we've been separated from God, but we're created to be doing life with God and that we, our sin has separated us from him, but Christ has made a way through, uh, God has made a way through Christ. And when we receive that and say, God, I, I wanna surrender to you as my Lord and as my Savior, in an instant, the Bible says you've been made new. When you surrender to Christ, you're a new creation. Everything you've done before that moment has now been wiped away. The identity that you had, the things that you've done, the people that you did it with, spiritually, God no longer holds any of that against you. He counts it nothing against you. Now, from this moment forward, you've become a new creation. It's what Peter said. You've been called out of that darkness of living for yourself, and now you're called to live for God in light. Now that you can see what Christ is all about and what your life is designed to be. And it says, this is what happened. This is the first step into the church. Sorry, I got a cough. Um, And here's what we have to understand. We live in a place, in a culture, where people are Christians because they're born into a Christian family. 
And here's what we have to understand. Like, it's great that we're born into Christian families. Like, that's awesome. That's our hope. We want discipleship to happen within families. But what happens is a lot of times people believe they're Christians before they actually repent of their sin and turn to Christ as their Lord and their Savior. And because of that, they never become a new creation. And they don't have the Spirit of God in them to make them new and to begin to lead and guide them. Their faith is not their own. It's been given to them through someone else. And this is not what Scripture says is normal salvation. And we need to understand that the prerequisite to being a part of God's family is that we're saved. And it's important to understand that all of the following characteristics, all seven that I'm about to walk through with you, are a natural overflow of the Spirit of God doing a work in our life. Like, it's not like I can teach you these things and you can write them down and say, okay, I wanna be devoted to God or, man, I want God's power to be at work in me or I want to be united with other people. Like, yeah, you can learn those things, but I'm telling you, the prerequisite is when the Spirit of God's at work with you, these things naturally overflow into your life and into the church. The second characteristic we see here is that they were devoted to God. Listen to verse 42. It says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. So it says these believers were devoted to God, and they were devoted to four things here that all have to do with their devotion to God. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching. Who were the apostles? The apostles were the early writers of the Bible. And so we know they were devoted to God's word. God's word was important to them. A spirit-filled person will love God's word, period. There's no being spirit-filled without a love for God's word. It says they were devoted to the fellowship. Fellowship is this word koinonia in the Greek. This is a sharing of life with other people. That's what the word means, a a partnership, a deep friendship with other people. And it, it essentially means that they were devoted to God's people. So they were devoted to God's word and they were devoted to God's people. That means that even when you face difficulties among the people of God, you're devoted to the people of God because you understand The purpose of God is to work not just in you, but in the people of God to display his glory to the earth. And so we fight for one another. We we are unified. We we, we forgive one another. We do everything that scripture tells us. There's 159 one another's in the Bible that I could go through with you. We pray for one another. We bear one another's burdens. We confess sin to one another. All of these, these things we see in the New Testament that help us do life together with God's people. Thirdly, they were devoted to the gospel. So they were devoted to God's word. They were devoted to God's people. And it says they were devoted to breaking bread. And you can miss this if you don't understand. Like in the Bible, a lot of times when it talks about breaking bread or taking the Lord's Supper, it's a reference to communion. And what that means is communion was an early ordinance that Christ instituted into his church for the purpose of us remembering the gospel. Every time we take communion and we take the bread and we drink uh, the cup or the wine, what we do is we remind ourselves of God's body that was given for us on the cross and God's blood that was spilt for us. And we remind of what he's done for us, what he wants to do now and what he will do in the future. And so they were devoted to God's word. They were devoted to God's people and they were devoted to the gospel. And then lastly, they were devoted to prayer. They had a relationship with God and they were devoted to this relationship with God. And I say that word devoted. Do you know what that means? Devoted should draw some 
commitment out of you. Like that's what the Spirit of God does is it puts this just um, this zeal in you for the things of God. This is one of the things I learned early on in my faith when it wasn't mine, when I had just become a Christian uh, in my head intellectually and I'd never surrendered to Christ is the things of God were difficult for me. Like there wasn't anything in me that just said, man, I wanna know God. I wanna walk with God. And that's what the Spirit of God does in us. And they believed, they were serious about their faith. They were committed followers of Jesus. They believed that Jesus was who he said he was. And because of that, they were committed to following him with everything they had. And listen to me, this was normal Christianity. Like we label it as radical in our day. But for them, this is normal. This is why we don't do church membership. We call people heart and soul because we want you to understand when you're heart and soul with God, you're heart and soul with him and following him, but you're also heart and soul with his church and the purpose that he has for his church and the mission that he's given us collectively together. And so we're not just signing a roster. No, we're becoming heart and soul with God and what his purpose is for us and his church. And this was normal Christianity. The third characteristic we see here in verse 43 is God's power. God's power was at work among these believers. You see it very clearly. Verse 43, everyone was filled with awe. Like literally God was doing so much in their midst that they were like, oh my God, this is awesome. Like what is going to happen today? God is working among his people. What could happen? And it says they were filled with awe because there were many signs and wonders that were happening and were being performed by the apostles. And so we see this early on in the Bible. The apostles, of course, were able to perform a lot of signs and miracles and do them on the spot, right? It may not be necessarily that way for us today, but we still see signs and wonders happening among the people of God. A lot of times, uh, you know, we, we, we kind of overestimate uh, what we... You know, we, we, we look at the Bible and we say, okay, well, they were doing signs and wonders, but it's not like that today. But I want you to understand the same Spirit of God that empowered the early believers empowers us. And so we, as a church, should pray and should see when God's powers at work within us, God will be changing lives in our midst. Even the signs and wonders that they saw were, were all the time connected to the life of someone being changed and being brought into the kingdom of God. There was repentance, there was salvation, there was baptism, there were hard hearts being softened to the gospel. There were powerful prayers being answered within the people of God. There were prison doors opening, rooms shaking because of the prayers of the people. There were powerful stories of conversion. We see a bold faith of, of, of Stephen standing up and being faithful and unashamed in the midst of some difficult circumstances. You can just walk through the book of Acts and see the type of power that we see at work. And when God's power is at work among the people of God, people will be being changed. Like, relationships will be restored. Like conversions will be happening. Baptisms will be happening. Repentance will be normal. Like God will be working among his people. The mission will be going forward because that's what the Spirit empowers the people of God to do. And that's why we see, I believe, so much more, so many more God stories happen with people who are on the front lines of the mission. Have you ever noticed that? You know, like many times in my faith, I'm like, God, I just don't see a lot of stuff that I'm like, man, that is 
awesome, and that's definitely you. And some of that's sin on my own part where I'm not looking and giving God credit for some of the things he's doing in my own heart and in my own life. But then when you, when you go talk to missionaries who are on the front lines or you go talk to church planners who are in there and you start looking at what God's done, even the video that we just saw literally seven and a half years ago coming here with a dream, God's called me to come here, and you see just miracles and salvations and baptisms over and over, and you see just God at work among the people of God. This is one of the characteristics of the early church, and, and this is what we need to understand is that God's power was at work within them, and in the book of Acts, it's normal for the power of God to be at work within the people of God. Like, if we ever drop back and look and say, God's power is not at work within Connection Church Vidalia, we need to be concerned because it's normal in the church for the power of God to be at work among the people of God. The fourth characteristic that we see is, is unity. They were united with each other. Verse 44, all the believers were together. They had everything in common, everything in common. Just think about that language. It means that they were together. There was a togetherness about them. They didn't all look the same, but they had all things in common. They had the same spirit at work in them. They had the same identity, a child of God, and they had the same purpose to live as an image bearer for God and fulfill this mission. They were diverse in the way that they looked, but they were unified by the spirit of God. And this is one of the things I love about the early church is it didn't look alike there were people from all different walks of life that had different socioeconomic statuses that literally looked, were different races, that all were drawn together by this spirit, by this person and work of Christ and by what he was doing in their life. And because of that, other people from the outside looked in and said, man, God is with this group of people. There's something going on because nothing else in the world would draw these people together. There's too much, there's too much hostility between this group of people, the Jews and the Gentiles, whatever is drawing them together where literally they are a family and doing life together, that's got to be supernatural. And this is what the church is designed to be. The, the fifth characteristic is sacrificial generosity or just generosity. Verse 45, did you catch this? They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. This is incredible. Literally selling things and sacrificing personal items and personal things that cost a lot of money to them to meet needs within the church. I call this see a need, meet a need generosity. When there was someone in their church that had a need, they would sell things and just say, yeah, I got you, buddy. Let me go sell this car real quick and we'll get you hooked up. We'll get you going. It's incredible. You listen to Acts 4, 32 through 37. It's not like this was a one-time thing. It happens literally two chapters later. Listen to this. All the believers were together. They were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions were their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. One of the characteristics of God working among us is that there's no needy people in our midst because we're meeting each other's needs. From time to time, those who own land or houses, they sold them and they brought the money from the sales and they put it at the apostles' feet and it was distributed to anyone who had need. Now here we get Joseph, who's our example of this. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of 
encouragement. He's a great hero of the faith. If you don't know Barnabas, definitely go study him. Verse 37, he sold a field that he owned, and he brought the money, and he put it at the apostles' feet to meet needs. Like, this is the example. These are real people like you and I. They see needs within the family of God, and they say, hey, I don't have the money, but I can go sell this, and I'll get it real quick. Give me a second. Boom, sell it, lay it, they meet the need. This is what was happening all over uh, the church. And I don't need to talk about the story right after this one, which was Ananias and Sapphira, who didn't sell what God told them to sell to meet needs within the church, right? We know what happened to them. So we see a sacrificial generosity within the church, and this is normal. Like, this is the normal church thing. Like, I look at that, and I'm like, man, that's some radical stuff right there. But to them, it's normal. So like, how can what was normal for them become normal to us? How can our view of God change? Number six, they loved gathering together. And they gathered together in large and small groups. Verse 46, listen, every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in one another's homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts. They truly loved being together. They loved being together in a big setting like this in the temple where we're praising God and worshiping and celebrating and giving and and, and celebrating all that God's doing in our midst and teaching and hearing God's word. But they also loved small group gatherings in homes where they were eating together and they were doing life together. Their relationships were deeper than just Sunday morning relationships. They were friendships. They were life-on-life friendships that happened, and their attitudes proved that, that they weren't faking it. There was a sincerity. There was a gladness about them. Like, literally, they, they were praising God and with sincerity and gladness. They really, really loved one another, and this was normal in the church. But, like, how often can we show up to churches, and we don't even know anybody, and we don't have any relationships, and we don't love anyone We kind of separate and and just come as an event, but this is not normal church. This is what God has designed his church to be. Number seven, it was attractive to outsiders. Verse 47, they were praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. I love this. They were characterized by sincerity, by love, by praising God, and by the presence of God in their midst. And because they had sincerity, they were serious, they were real, they were authentic, because they loved God and loved one another, and because the presence of God was with them, it says they had favor among all the people. Like literally, believers, non-believers, all of them were like, hey, I like that group of people. Like, I like them. Something's going on, and I like them. And this is what their church was characterized by. People saw it, and they wanted to be a part of it. Like, I don't know what's going on with them, but I want to be a part of that. That was before they even heard the message that they were proclaiming, probably. They were like, man, something's happening, and I want to be a part of that. It was attractive. It was contagious. And for them, this was their reality. And this was a normal church to them. And then the last characteristic we see here is multiplication. Verse 47 at the end says, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. We see they were serious about the mission of God. They were telling people about Christ. They were sharing their stories. They were inviting people into the church. They were planting out other churches so that other people could experience the same thing that they're experiencing. The church was truly a movement. It was a launching pad that launched people out all over the world. And we're sitting here today because of what God did among this group of people. 
It's incredible to think about what normal church was then. But I told you when we started this message, it's almost like if you've ever seen Men in Black where they get the guy in the room and they hit the little zap button and it erases their memory and everything they've ever thought about when it comes to a certain subject. It's almost like we need that as a church so that we can actually walk into what a normal church should be because we have messed it up or we've had so many experiences that weren't what this is. And because it's, it can almost seem paralyzing to think, how could I ever trust people and walk beside people like this again because of the experiences that I've had? But God wants this to be what the church is about. And we can't allow past experiences to shape God's future obedience for our life. So I told you there was two observations and one challenge. So here's my challenge this morning. Don't miss out on the blessing of God. Like, don't miss out on the blessing of God. The family of God is literally a gift of grace from God to us. That's what the church is. It's not a burden. It's a blessing from him. Listen to a couple quotes of people uh, that I love. Paul David Tripp says this, one of God's sweetest gifts to us between the already of our conversion and the not yet of our home going is the gift of the body of Christ. God makes his invisible grace visible by sending people of grace to give grace to people who need grace. His people are meant to be the look on his face, the touch of his hand, the sound of his voice, the evidence of his love, the picture of his presence, and the visible demonstration of his faithfulness. Listen to how Tim Keller says it. He says, to be loved but not known is comforting, but it's superficial. To be known and not loved is our greatest fear. But to be fully known and truly loved is a lot like being loved by God. It is what we need more than anything because it liberates us from pretense. It humbles us out of our self-righteousness and it fortifies us for any difficulty life can throw at us. I want you to listen to a few people from this church who've experienced church God's way. I asked them this question. Why would you say a person who's not walking in community, the church is not a family to them, is missing out on God's greatest blessing and one of God's greatest blessings in their life? One guy said this. He said, community to me is special. God created us for it. It provides a lot of essential things in my life. Only in community can we see our sin clearer than ever before. Only in community can we fully grow into who God is calling us to be. Only in community can we learn to be like Jesus. Only in community can we truly learn to love, be loved, serve, and submit. Community is an experience with God unlike any other. All of these are why community has blessed my life so much. And here's what another lady said. She says, the blessings of Christian community are endless. Relationships, accountability, encouragement, the chance to be known, the chance to be loved, not having to fight sin alone anymore in isolation. Who do you want to be surrounded by when your world falls apart? Because, this is her language, crap happens. When you're going through something bad, the friends that lowered the paralytic down through the roof to get him to Jesus in Mark 2 are the friends that I want around me. 
because it's their faith that sometimes gets us through whatever the world is gonna have us face. I want you to remember this. Community is a gift from God for every believer. And I don't want any person that steps through the doors of our church on a Sunday morning to miss out on this blessing. And so we have an opportunity for you today. This is why we put so much emphasis on our connect groups because we truly do desire for you to be in an environment where you can build gospel friendships around the word of God, around the people of God. And so today we have that opportunity for you. So if you're a group leader, if you wanna go ahead and stand up, uh, we have group tables all around the room today. Uh, adult co-ed, that would be a men and women's group, multi-generational. We have older groups, younger groups, all of the above. And look around as you see these people get up. These are normal people. Like none of them are perfect, but man, they understand the power of community and they've committed their life to providing an environment where we can grow in these uh, environments. We have men's groups, we have women's groups, uh, we have college age groups that are, that are starting up today. Um, and so you may see your leader. I know this is the nine o'clock crowd. If you see them, thank them, encourage them. They open up their homes every week to invite people in to eat together, to share God's word together. And man, they would love for you to sign up for a group today. So let me pray for us. Father, we love you. God, we're thankful for the opportunity to walk in community. God, you're so good to us. God, you've given us not just invisible uh, invisibility from you to walk through life with. God, that's the hardest thing sometimes about following you is we can't see you. But God, you've given us real life, living, breathing people that are filled with your spirit, you to walk through life with us. So God, would we not take advantage of that and enjoy that blessing? So God, if there's a person in the room today that has not experienced this and church has not been this for them, I pray today would be a day that they would step into community for the very first time. Father, we love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.